Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ole Speaks Podcast on Black and White and Red All Over. I'm your host, Danny, coming to you for episode 128. And if you want to listen to this one, as well as our previous episodes, feel free to like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you do listen on Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave us a nice rating and a review. We always appreciate those as well. Uh, You can do the same on Spotify, although I think they only have ratings. Anyways... Let us uh, get to matters at hand, and as with last week, they have to do with stuff off the field rather than on the field, since we are in the middle of the World Cup break still. So let me bring in Sam Lepresi. Hello, Sam. I feel like all of us should have the Forrest Gump beard yes. at this point, just waiting yes. for the next time to watch you and display. Yes. Chucks, will you be growing a Forrest Gump beard? I mean, I can barely grow any facial hair, really. Uh, this is an audio platform, so obviously you can't uh, can't see my uh, facial hair or my facial features of any kind. But, well, this little pluck that I have took me, I don't know, years already. So Years? That's a, nice That's a nice goatee, though. That's a nice... Yeah, know, thank you, nice thank you. Um, it was, I mean, basically requested by my wife. <laughs> she said uh, <laughs> I looked... Uh, I mean, I look too young without it. So uh, when she's older than me, so um, uh, yeah, quite a few years uh, older than myself. So um, yeah, it uh, it looked it made me look too young without one. So here I am, which is you, you know, are. unlike uh, 
not nor not very unlike uh, Paolo Dybala, who still looks like he's you know, <laughs> I don't know, fifteen or Mario Goods. Actually, when speaking of World Cup, when I um, saw him make some substitute appearances, I'm like, wow, he still looks the exact same, exact same as when he scored that uh, magical goal against Argentina in the final. Indeed, indeed. Last but not least, Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio. How are how is your facial hair doing these days? Yeah, no, bad. Uh, pretty bad. I. I can't grow facial hair either. It's a thing. I've I've just learned to accept that. I'm about to turn 30. It's just one of those things that's just not going to happen for me. And I'm okay with that. It's, it's like figuring out I'm not going to play professional football. Both things, I'm fine with them just not happening at this point in my life. There you go. Danny, well, it's just the, being Italian, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean... I think my parents were shocked that I didn't have the ability to grow a full beard as late as I did compared to other Italian friends of mine who probably had a full beard by their 14th birthday. So yeah, I could get, I could definitely get it by the end of high school. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, on that facial hair note, we will, we will get into <laughs> matters at hand. Speaking of a guy who has grown a beard or two, Andrea and Yelly, we uh, are very much in kind of the, the aftermath of Juventus's, board of directors stepping down, whether it is reports of WhatsApp conversations, reports of leaked wiretap conversations, all these conversations, a lot of conversations. Uh, but the big thing actually came out earlier in the day, we're recording here on Sunday, and that it has to do with the, uh, the judge kind of overseeing the initial process of the Prisma investigation by the Turin prosecutor's office, essentially rejecting <laughs> what, what, uh, what has been essentially given to him by said prosecutor's office. And there's it boils down to essentially three main parts of his reasoning. And it was essentially, you know, Juventus's use of capital gains has become such a regular practice around the sport that it's not necessarily making Juventus an outlier. And like we've said before, you know, the, the moves where Juventus in a way cooked the books a little bit, you know, it's something that a lot of clubs have have become accustomed to, and we've seen you know in this investigation, other other clubs be uh, pointed out as well. And then on top of that, Juventus's record prior to this being relatively clean, and then the big one is that Juventus's financial desperation because of the COVID nineteen pandemic, you know, forced the club to withhold the money. How how that money might have been paid is still to be determined or the legality of it is still to be determined. But at, at this point, you know, there's at least this piece of good news for Juventus. And I think when we talked last week, there was not much good news surrounding Juventus. And it was very much a lot of allegedly's. However, it was a lot of allegedly's that had Juventus being very much painted in a bad light. So I don't know who wants to go after me rambling through all of this, but at this point, maybe severe punishment for Juventus might be a little less likely compared to where we were a week ago, but I don't know. I mean, this investigation, there's so many different levels to it that it's hard. You know, like we said last week, it's hard to keep track of everything that's going on, but this seems rather important. Yeah. There are two things that I, I mean, that I initially thought of when I saw this, this story coming out today, one was, yeah, this is like the criminal part of the investigation. And the two-pronged sporting part is is yet to come, and who knows whether or not they decide to be a lot more harsh than than this judge is. 
because that's that certainly is a, a a possibility. But the other part of me was a little bit puzzled by it because I'm saying, okay, so you know, other teams do it too. That doesn't make it less illegal, especially when you're a you're you're publicly traded like Juventus is. So yeah, it it's it's weird and and it's interesting too because also over the weekend I I saw a story that um, Aurelio De Laurentiis in Naples has seen an investigation opened up into something similar over the Victor Oshiman deal because that was just complete nonsense with the the number of players they sent over in return and their value who then you know never played for Lille never played top flight football a bunch like they they sent four youth team players there that they combined to rate for something like 20 25 million right and Correct. like they they were all loaned out to you know Serie C teams a couple of them are out of soccer now one plays in the Eccellenza like it, it it's all you want to talk about shenanigans there were there are some shenanigans but it, it makes me wonder when i say that like yes the desperation from covid made us do the the salary shenanigans yes the capital gain shenanigans are a widespread thing in the sport right now at least in italy and probably abroad too i mean look at freaking spain where you know what's going on at barcelona right now but again that doesn't make it less illegal for Juventus as a public, and again, I and I said this in the piece that I wrote last week. If Juventus wasn't publicly traded, this might not matter at all, at least not on the criminal level. On the sporting level, maybe it would. But when you're publicly traded, there, there's got. I mean, I can now see an avenue where, at least on the criminal side, the, tr- the punishment is a lot less. Makes me wonder if if the the old board does get by with a slap on the wrist, whether or not Andrea Agnelli tries to start insinuating himself back into the club once it's all over. I hope not, but yeah, I just the the severity of the punishment may have gone down, but I feel like there's got to be some sort of punishment coming down at least for something. Yeah, I mean, I echo those thoughts a lot too, and this is one of those things where it's like, okay, I mean, there are many things going on. First of all, you know, of course, it's too early to you know to really make any wide sweeping conclusions based on this news. And Juventus hasn't even given their defense to. The prosecutor's office yet so yeah there are still many 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 steps before we even get close to a punishment being handed out right and and as you you know pointed out danny in in, in the piece you just wrote you know this doesn't mean that we're acquitted or anything that this doesn't mean you know really not that it means nothing but you know it's still very very much the beginning of i guess the case really uh in general so you know my knee-jerk uh reaction to to the news like this is like yes okay come on we're we're good now but then obviously you got to kind of you know step back and think okay <laughs> you know still a long way to go and still still definitely a case to be built yeah as a surprise to no one i've seen many people taking victory laps on twitter and it's just like hold yeah hold on yeah. a minute but uh, i mean i think that's also the nature of the times i mean just of the yes. internet times yes. you know uh with uh jumping to conclusions but yeah like you, you know like you stress in the article it's still uh still very early days but then you know another thing as well is that obviously this case is a very just a legal you know big legal case uh that's happening and i am no legal expert <laughs> you know obviously none of us are and just speaking for myself here i'm i'm very careful to speak about subjects or to speak extensively on subjects where I'm, you know, just not an expert on. And 
there's a great book about this actually just kind of a tangent here but um there's a great book about this uh, the death of expertise by tom nichols i think is his name uh, highly recommended just on just on the topic of expertise and people speaking on things that they're experts on so um so yeah anyway i'm not a legal expert and all that however i think the so that first point on just the whole plus valenza thing and just you know how juve slash football clubs in general value players i mean that's I think that's a really interesting point because I think it's kind of a recognition that uh, the football industry in general, it's such an abnormal industry uh, in the sense that, you know, comparing it to like regular, you know, regular traded goods, like, I don't know, a laptop, you know, I'm looking first thing that came up in my mind since, you know, I'm looking at a laptop here. Uh, so, you know, just let's just think of just a laptop, like trading, you know, companies that buy or make laptops and sell them to consumers and all that. It's generally much easier to value to put a value to put a monetary value on a laptop and most importantly it's easier to put a value on it that everyone kind of accepts as like yeah okay that's fair because i mean it's 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 just easier the the, the inputs all the the materials are used to produce a laptop again everybody kind of agrees like okay this is how much uh, i don't know a uh, silicon semiconductor chip costs is how much the plastic costs is how much I don't know the fiber or whatever it's used to uh, make a laptop like it's easier for people to just there's no real controversy on what that costs and like the you know the cost used to produce that and then whatever profit margins companies tack on top of that uh, in football is just I mean it's almost impossible really to agree on that I mean you know how much is uh I don't know, name player X, uh, Paolo Dybala, I guess he was just on my mind uh, as we were talking off air. You know, how much is Paolo Dybala worth? I mean, you know, you can ask 10 different clubs and get 20 different values uh, that they'll give. And, you know, who can actually objectively, objectively quantify, but then create some kind of mathematical formula, I guess, to say, okay, this plus this plus this determines objectively what, Dybala is worth. I mean, there's just that just doesn't exist. Uh, I mean, okay, you can go off stats like goals and assists and stuff, but I mean, there are a lot of players that just provide, uh, I mean, intangible qualities to a team, like you know, leadership or uh, I don't know, personality or charisma, whatever that you just cannot quantify. Take for instance, the example of like Paolo Dybala, like. If you ask 10 different clubs on like, okay, what do you think Paolo Di Bello is worth? You'll probably get like, I don't know, 15, 20 different valuations of it because nobody can, it's kind of like in high school when it's like, you know, in math, you have to show your work on an equation. It's like, well, ask all these clubs to show their like work for their equations on like how they arrived at the valuation of Paolo Di Bello. You'll probably get like, I don't know, a hundred different types of like works that, you know, they show uh, because there's just no objective agreed upon, like, this is how you reach the valuation of a um, of a player like that. Everybody agrees on. Uh, I mean, I think everybody just has a different one. Right. And, um, you know, to take it back to this case, it's them saying, OK, the use of capital gains and like how everybody does it and how everybody kind of, I don't know, inflates player values, uh, inflates their just how much they're worth on their books and kind of says, okay, this player, uh, you know, you're saying with the Oshiman transfer, okay, now these youth players are all suddenly worth 20 million euros. <laughs> like, surprise. And them admitting that that is common practice, I think is them also admitting that just the football industry in general is just 
just subjective. It's it's hard for everyone to come to an agreement on what a player truly objectively is worth. And at the end of the day, I think we've mentioned this on, on the podcast, at the end of the day, what a player is worth is just what two clubs agree that he's worth. And that's, you know, who are we, I guess, to interfere with that? I mean, I what am I going to say? Oh, Napoli, uh, you know, let's say, I don't know, a transfer between Napoli and Fiorentina or something. Oh, Napoli, shame on you for, you know, valuing this player at 35 million euros or shame on Fiorentina for doing that. They agreed upon it. They're all adults. They signed a contract. It's basically just a, yeah, it's kind of a wild west, I guess, the football industry. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, I, I don't have a ton more to add than, than what Chuck said. That's, uh, I, I think, in a, in a graph bag or something, I, I, I made the same case. Like, it's pretty much impossible. You can, like, we were talking about the Victor Osimhen case and all those, you know, guys that ended up washing out. Well, who's to say, you know, a scout thought that he saw something, you know, oh, this kid is going to develop, he's going to be like a 200 million euro player in the future. We're, play, we're paying 10 million euros for him right now. It's it's a bargain. If, if you believe that scout and that scout is saying that to you, I mean, who's to say? So it, it was impossible. The, the thing that really worries me now, and obviously not, nobody here is a legal expert, a financial expert, or accounting expert, or really an expert of any kind or in, in anything. But uh, <laughs> Speak for yourself, mate. The, the, for yourself. But the reality is that this, the, the thing that worries me is that this is going to drag on into the season and especially for a team that you know was in a way sort of quote unquote back you know that was in a run that was arguably or not arguably but factually the hottest team in Italy when the break came on uh you know the the buys were starting to to come alive everything was starting to to feel good for that comeback you had injured players coming back like i mean the 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 outlook for Juventus was as good as it's been really since the since Max Lager came back. And now you have this cloud of, of controversy that is completely off the field, off field related, that is going to be hanging over the club for I guarantee the entire second half of the season. I mean, it, it's going to be tough for this thing to be resolved in its entirety, you know, within a couple of weeks. Like this is the thing that's going to drag on. And you just hope that Max Allegri, the, the coaching staff and the team can, you know, kind of compartmentalize that and just do the thing they have to do on the field. And, you know, in a season that's already had so many issues, you know, to add this, it's tough. It's tough because, you know, I think as Yuga fans, we were kind of honestly looking forward to to the season kicking back on, especially the form the team was on. And, and you know, now it's this hanging over our heads and 
and look, not that it matters, but you know, it's going to get brought up. Every single, every single game is going to get brought up and it's just going to be this recurring theme that considering that the season, like this season is not going to get any easier for them. It's just to, to have this on top of it is just not, not a good thing for the club. You know, when we speak about results on the pitch. Reminds me a little bit of the, the 06 Italy team, which was having to play as Calciopoli was in its final stages. And as the, the guy, I remember the, the initial punishments were announced the day that Italy played the semifinal against, against Germany. And there were two, three, four. I think there were four Juve players in the starting lineup for Italy that day. Plus Del Piero was coming off, off the bench, on, off the bench as, you know, the super sub. And, and, you know, they had to kind of, like you said, Sergio, just compartmentalize things and, and, and take care of what their job was on the field. And now we see if they can do that. Now we see if, if Allegri has the man management skills to keep everybody focused. You know, the, the stories about Allegri's role going forward now have been kind of amusing with the, the, I know the term super manager was, was thrown around. He's already was, a super manager in your mind, right, Sam? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, but it's like, I, I mean, who knows? Maybe he'll actually start getting the players that he wants from the front office after all these years because of something like this. You remember that first that first uh, stint where he spent like three years begging them to get a quattrequartista. And then he gets Hernanes. And then he got, and then, well, no, and then he got Pjanic and he turned him into a regista instead. And it was like, yes. come on now. I, I always kind of felt that, that when Pjanic did start playing regista, it was only to wait until Claudio Marchisio came back from the injury and then they would move him forward and have Marchisio play his old position, but Marchisio just was never the same. It is going to be, especially early on, especially because going into the restart of the season, you've got two games that you should win, and then you go to Naples, and you play Napoli at the Maradona, and that is going to be difficult. To say the least, especially with a bunch of Napoli fans baying for their heads about over this exact thing, even though their their owner is being investigated for something similar. But you know, you have to, yeah, you have they have to be able to take care of their jobs, and I hope that they that they do. And this is one of those times when you do kind of wish that you had, you know, the old the old hands, you know, the the, the bouffons, or to talk to the team about about how that went, you know, or, or, you know, if Del Piero does become nominated to the board in January, I, you know, I, I would totally, if, if I was him, take a minute, go down to talk to the team and say, this is how we did this in, in 2006. This is what you've got to do now. Like share that experience. If you, if, if he, if he does become a part of the team, but it's, you know, it will go, you know, that, that ability is going to go a long way towards, deciding just how how close to the remaining goals of the season that Juventus can come. And and also just uh kind of bring it back to one of the points of the uh of this news just now with the judge throwing out some requests. Um yeah and that, and Danny you alluded to this about the salaries thing. I mean the judge is saying okay Juve cut the salaries obviously as a result of the pandemic, which you know of course but then I mean there's still the question of like okay yeah, they cut the salaries, but then how they then dealt with the salaries of, I mean, yeah, I mean that that's, the, that's the a very large second part of it, right? Yeah, you know, you're, it's like, yeah, okay, we can understand Juventus cut salaries. I think you know 
we know all about how Giorgio Chiellini was basically the guy who was, you know, quote unquote, negotiating with the club to figure this out. And, but we've also heard how it's kind of taken on another life where it's like, okay, well, maybe they did something not so good to get players those salaries. And And also, interestingly enough, Chiellini was apparently the only player that didn't sign one of those deals. I've read that. Instead of t- taking the, the the salary under the table, he instead signed a, an ambassador contract for after his con- his his playing career was over. I know I read something like that one, in at least one place. I can't I can't say where it was now off the top of my head, but and he I mean I guess he was just trying to be a leader and and help and and look out for his for his teammates and his team. That's the thing is that like those WhatsApp messages and the, and the secrecy to it just feel so damning when you look at them, you know, like the perception is we know we're we're doing something bad and we know we're doing something bad. And, and that's the sort of thing that that the media will love to get their hands on and, and give life of its own. You got anything else you want to finish Chuck's or shall we? Well, I was just, I was thinking because just on that comment of Chiellini, because you know, those whole WhatsApp, all those WhatsApp messages, like, Chiellini was obviously, I mean, from what I remember reading, kind of seeing some snippets of them, that Chiellini was one of the ones that was kind of like, all right, guys, you know, basically like, all right, this is what's going on uh, with the... You put on the DL. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, this is what's going on with the salaries. All right, let's just kind of go along with it. Everybody just kind of, you know, toe the company line. And so it's just, I was trying to kind of think, okay, how does that then fit with the ambassador, the whole thing about him signing the contract about the uh, with the ambassadorship after his career ends. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think I I just can't connect them yet. But there's there's like something. It's, you know, when you have the feeling like okay, there's something there, but I just can't quite put my finger to it. So yeah, just kind of thinking out loud there. Um, <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well. I don't know. Uh, it's like I, I don't have a fully formed thought on it yet, but I I just feel like there's something something in my mind but anyway we'll, we'll we'll let you try and connect those two dots uh over, <laughs> over, over the rest of the episode but at, at this point oh, it'll know, take me days okay it'll take me okay days. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll circle back next week how about that yeah i mean the best thoughts always take you know time to you know aha uh-huh, <laughs> and then yeah all right well somebody who's very much been brought up over the past week in terms in terms of his and in, his potential involvement in all this is uh eventus's director of football's Essentially, you know, the, the sporting director, Federico Cherubini and uh, Tutto Sport, we're Tutto Sport centric this week, considering that, uh, what is it, uh, Corriere del Sport, they're, they're very much uh, in the realm of how much can Juventus get if they were to sell the club. They are so weirdly fixated on that. They are. and that's, As a that's... headline. And they're the only ones, which makes me, which <laughs> is just like. Yes, they are the outlier. So, you know, Tutto Sport reported that Federico Cherubini is very much odds on probably leaving Juventus this summer, which, depending on obviously who comes and replaces him, could be a good thing or a bad thing. Once one corner of the Italian media is very much throwing out the name Beppe Marotta, who we know quite well, but there have also been a few other names thrown out there. I guess, you know, it, it's hard to say knowing what consider where we are and we're not totally sure of what's going on inside Juventus, what uh, his status is. But I guess, Sergio, would you be sad to see him go? Would Obviously, you know, somebody like Morota coming back would be, I, I would assume, welcome with open arms. But, you know, out of the potential replacements, are you 
thinking maybe some change would be good? Or are you sticking along the, uh, at least this team fed a course? You know, the, the, to me, the funny thing is that for most of these guys that, that were, that just resigned or for now for Carabini who might resign, you know, you could have made the case that they should have been fired anyway for how they've managed <laughs> the club the last three, four years. So it's, it's been one of the roughest periods for Juventus after a long, long period of success. So even just for performance alone, you can make the case they should have been let go. So I'm not going to be over here crying if, if he does, you know, leave after the season is over. Arguably, they should have been fired anyway. In in regards to, to Marotta, you know, he, he built a great Juventus dynasty. He, he did. And then he went to Inter. And he built a pretty good team over there that won City as well. So I, I think he's he's a great, you know, he, he's very good at his job. I would definitely welcome him with open arms. But you also, you know, I, I don't want to say I'd be against it, but you definitely would like to see them, you know, kind of figure out who the next, you know, great sporting manager is instead of always kind of turning back and looking at the past and being like, oh, this guy worked out the last time. Let's see if he can work it out again. Because Inter is not, doing all that great at the moment. I mean, he built a very good squad, but now they're not looking all that great. We seem to always remember all the great signings Marotta did, which he had a lot. Like, I'm not saying he wasn't good. He was very, very good. But, you know, we forget here and there that he struggled as well. Like, he made a lot of bad signings as well. Like, the midfield decline thing very much started with him. And, and uh, Danny, you, you mentioned Hernanes. Like, he was the one that brought in Hernanes. He was the one that brought in Mario Lemina and like Tomas Rincon and a bunch of dudes that were supposed to help the midfield and didn't really work out. Um, you know, he's a very, very good sporting director. If they brought him back, I'd, I'd definitely be happy about it. But it'd also be a little bit of a letdown in the sense of, okay, can we maybe stop looking at the past and, you know, try to bring some new blood, someone with new mentality. Like that, that to me would be the most uh, exciting or interesting move. It could be the wrong move as well, because like I said, Marat is really, really good, but it does feel like a recurring pattern for Juventus of, okay, things are going bad. Let's bring in a guy from our past that when, you know, back when we were good, like that happened with Allegri and that could happen again with Marot that, you know, the Allegri thing still undecided if it's going to work out and the Marotta thing could very well work out. I'm not saying that it's a bad idea. But it does, it, it feels like a bad pattern in general for Juventus to always be looking back at the guys that were, that made us good back in the day, instead of kind of trying to, you know, look forward, and especially organizationally speaking, when they are always talking about the future and Juventus next gen and whatnot. And it's like, but we're still going to bring back the guy who is currently in Inter, not really making Inter a much better club than they were before. And we're going to bring him back, you know, it, it just, it's a little bit weird in that sense specifically, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset about it either. Live ahead. <laughs> Live ahead. Next gen. That's right. <laughs> it's weird that you, I mean, I agree with you, Sergio, that a lot of the people involved in, in the, the mass resignation would, you know, would certainly, there was a case for their dismissal. I don't know if Cherubini is on that list because he's, since he's come in, he's actually done a pretty good job cleaning up the mess that Fabio Paratici left for him when he when he moved on to Tottenham. Uh, and also all of the all of the the evidence that's been leaked so far seems to have Cherubini kind of looking out from behind Paratici as his assistant going, guys, we shouldn't be doing this. 
and Paratici just being like, eh, whatever. I wouldn't mind keeping him on. I don't know if he des- particularly deserves to go. I mean, maybe he, you know, if he does not want to deal with the aftermath of this as Juventus' sporting director, that is his prerogative and his life. And I would wish him well if that was the, the case. And also there's there's the aspect of sometimes, you know, you bring in a new board, you know, and, and, you know, you see it in American sports all the time. A new owner comes in and he cleans house and picks his own front office. A new front office comes in, they clean house at the on the field manager level and bring in new coaches. It could just be that the that this is a case of the the of a new board wanting their people in there. And if that's the way, then that's, you know. If that's the reason, that's kind of just business, the business of, of, of the sport. As for Marotta, I would love to have Marotta back. And because one of the things that, and I acknowledge Sergio's criticism of him with, you know, guys like Hernanez, guys like Lemina, who, who never panned out, who were questionable in the first place in the case of, Herna, of Hernanez. Uh, and, and the fact that the, the midfield was really kind of atrophying before he left. I, I wonder about that in in certain, you know, I, I wonder about the mitigating factors of the midfield in general. And if that's a question of maybe that's when Agnelli started meddling a little bit and told him who he wanted targeted. And so he kind of had to start getting Agnelli's guys. And also with the mistakes that he made, and this is the big difference between Paratici especially, and also Cherubini. You know, he made a mistake on, like, let's say Lemina, who, you know, I had a, I had the misfortune of declaring baby Vidal in print when I was in, uh, when I was at Bleacher Report. Uh, I was high on him when he, when he signed. He, we bought him for a total of 10 million, half million dollars on the loan, nine and a half at, on the option. When we sold him to Southampton, I don't, I can't do the, the, conversion on this in my head because that just I just went to Wikipedia as a quick source and it goes from euros to pounds. Southampton bought him for 15.4 million pounds. Love that Premier League money. Which when you when you convert it, he made money off of that mistake. And Marotta, even with very little leverage, Pepe Marotta was very good at selling players. One of the first things he did when he went to enter was to fob off Mauro Icardi to PSG for like 70 million euros with absolutely zero leverage because everybody knew that Inter wanted him gone. So he, yes, he made he made the odd mistake signing, but he was still able to dispose of those mistakes in a way that didn't necessarily cost the club as opposed to guys, uh, moments like like Sammy Kadira or Blaise Matuidi where where you just had to to buy out their contracts or or Aaron Ramsey where you just had to buy out their contracts and uh and and take the L. So I I think that Marotta is a fantastic team builder and he is a very good at the underrated aspect of selling players which is something that Juventus just hasn't had uh when it comes to trimming off dead weight. So I I would personally wholeheartedly welcome him back if he were to come back to the team because i just i don't think there are many better than him right now in the world at doing that job and i think that if there is a if there is a guy at least you know may get, look at a long-term successor he's not a young man not at the look at for you know the next young guy is a long-term successor but 
I would say if there's anybody that can fix this team in a relatively short amount of time, it's Maralta. So that um, figure you quoted on Let Me Now, I just uh, looked it up while you were talking. Uh, it's a little bit under $19 million. Uh, one nine, 19 million. So, yeah. Euro- yeah. What about euros? Uh, well, I can get you that figure right too, right now as well. Uh, right. A little bit under 18 million. So that's euros. Uh, that's 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 a, a a little bit little more little less than eight million dollars profit off of a guy that flopped with you. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna, you know make a mistake then yeah that's a decent mistake to make (laughs) that's yeah (laughs) yeah no i mean for sure and like i said uh, he's not a bad he's by far like definitely not a bad sporting director but like you said like we we in a way please southampton on the lemia deal but he was also (laughs) the guy that you know everyone was at his throat when they let arturo vidal go for example at a fairly reasonable deal to value munich and it was like hey fight for this guy like this is the corner of your midfield and, you know, he let him go because he was very much of the idea that if players want to leave, let them leave. So, again, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but, you know, we tend to look at those years and those signings with, you know, rose-colored glass, especially because of how bad it's recently been. But, you know, I, I do tend to look at, at his stint as, as a very good one, mostly successful, but he definitely had a lot of howlers that we, we forget with time. So that that's why, and again, like with Inter, he built a very good, very competitive team. They won the Serie yeah. But you look at them right now, and it's, that team has holes now. Like that's not a very well-rounded team. Well, and that 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 has a lot to do with the fact that the that the owners can't transfer capital out of China anymore because of Chinese government regulations. That's, I mean, he's 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 been operating on a shoe. He, he to use Conte's phrase. He had the hundred mil, the hundred euro note in his pocket when he went to build that team, and then when he went back to the restaurant again, all of a sudden, all he had was a ten. I thought you were going to say, uh, but then he couldn't get he couldn't find his wallet or something, <laughs> oh, God, or, yeah, no. or couldn't get the couldn't get the hundred no, euros it, out it, of his, his pocket. It, it, it is very, you know, I mean, Inter's situation is very, I mean, there it is very much. Uh, a product much like Juve's, a product of the the upper ownership president level, and in in the case of of Suning, to not being able to get money out of China because of the regulations in in, in China. Yeah, one one more note on Beppe Marotta before we move on to a little bit of World Cup talk. Uh, it's almost a decade ago now, but there is a reason why the quote unquote will of the player became a meme within our comment section, and it was because <laughs> Juventus were basically selling players. Because they wanted, they didn't really kind of, as Sergio said, dig in and, and kind of try and convince them to stay. It was basically like, okay, you want to leave? Go ahead. I mean, there's just a quick point. Yeah, I mean, there is a general just trend, I guess, in football in general, where it's, yeah, I mean, sports the power that players general. have. Yeah, yeah, sports in general. Yeah, yeah. yeah Look just at the power of, for God's sakes. It's just like, yeah, there's that power of the individual. And, you know, I mean, I guess they can market themselves so so hugely to to get almost kind of a cult following around them the individual and then you know something happens who, who and... might you might be alluding to i have no idea <laughs> yeah well actually it's funny I, I, i've been thinking about that th- this kind of topic uh actually more in the context of like tech and stuff obviously with elon musk and all that but even before elon musk i mean just this this cult of the individual um around i mean you know this whole tech savior complex uh 
you know that i mean bothers me greatly <laughs> but anyway this is, a, this is a football podcast so i'll leave that to one side but yeah i mean obviously just this this i mean i sympathize with someone like pepe and and just in the sense of uh and just supporting directors in general just dealing with that you know incredible weight and just kind of the public weight that you have as an athlete and as you know yeah as that individual so yeah would it be a trademark infringement if one of us started singing cult of personality right now and <laughs> <laughs> well hey i mean apparently we got to be careful with what we sing and stuff on that podcast yes we can't so, we have to be just, uh, we have to be mindful we can't be paying yeah. royalties that we definitely yeah, don't right. have the money for yeah right <laughs> yeah really quite quite remarkable yeah, so a, a pot, I'll, I'll just tell you this: a podcast of mine was was uh, going to be doing a, a draft style of Christmas songs, and they one of the guys said, "Hey, why don't we, why don't we go ahead and just play the songs in the background after we pick one of them?" And he's like, "Okay, well, let's just add up with how many people we have on in the royalties." Okay, you can pay the ten million dollars that we need. <laughs> just got to pick them in public domain. Yeah, right. Before, yeah, before yeah, we go here, we're going to talk a little World Cup. Obviously, we uh, recording here on Sunday, so the quarterfinals have wrapped up so we're down to the last four are you guys obviously it's been a world cup with a whole lot of craziness and chaos going on are you, you know just going around the horn here real quick are you guys maybe surprised that one team is still available that's not named morocco <laughs> i it's amazing to me that this is one of the best in terms of on-field action this has been one of the best world cups in recent memory it's just a damn shame that everything else about it is terrible Yes. From the from the the Qatar standpoint, because, you know, Morocco, Morocco has done a fantastic job. Obviously, there's huge history there. It, it kind of gives you flashbacks to everything that Max Allegri has done in the last two years at, at Juve because of the way they play. But they do it so well. They they they're tight knit. They know how to work together. And this is a, a team that's playing for a coach that's only been that's only been there for, what, eight games? It, it's a it's a massive testament to the coaching to the to the team spirit of that team uh and i'm i'm glad that they did what they did yesterday because i my one real goal for this world cup was for Lionel messi to get farther than cristiano ronaldo so that that would be the last thing that cristiano ronaldo remembers about his world his last world cup <laughs> and now that that has happened i just want to you know bring me all of his tears so that i may drink of them and on the on the other side of the bracket, uh, Argentina, Argentina has been interesting because there have been times when they they're very messy focused, and times when the the supporting cast chips in just enough. It would be hilarious if Croatia man. And on the Croatian side, I don't know how those guys can stand up. Like <laughs> Jesus. Like after like like at, at, in the round of sixteen when it went to extra time, do you think they were just looking at each other going, "Oh God, it's happening again." Uh, I, I think I, I think I read the stat. They have not won a World Cup knockout game in regular times since 1998. Uh, all of their wins in the knockout round since then have come in extra time and penalties. I'll tell you, Livakovic isn't going to be at Dinamo Zagreb very long. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it would be absolutely hilarious if we ended up with a second straight Croatian France final, wouldn't it? <laughs> After all that. After, After all that, it's like, oh, yeah, as you were. But uh, I'm secretly rooting for a Croatia-Morocco final just to like have a guaranteed first-time winner and just like have 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 full chaos going. But uh, yeah, it's it has been very enjoyable watching this World Cup. I mean, I guess it's a little bit better as a neutral because you know 
I've had to be a neutral. Yes. I, I've, I've had that. I don't know how many times I've had that thought. I've, I've rooted. I, I, was, I mean, I was, I was very much rooting for the U S as well. I was very much at the edge of my seat at the Iran game, but um, yeah, it, it's, it, it is a really fun world cup this to watch just the, the on-field action has been great. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think like, like Danny was saying, like Sam said, I, I think if you're not from Argentina or France, and you're not rooting for a Croatia Morocco final. Like I just don't like you as a person or as a human being. Like I just don't <laughs> we don't share any sort of values whatsoever. Like if you if you're from France or from Argentina, like I get it. You're obviously rooting for your country. Other than that, I mean, you know, go suck something. Because I mean, like there's no way that you don't want to root. There, there's no sorry, I, I didn't want to I you know, Couch didn't want to give him extra work. Good guy. Um <laughs> I mean, and swear. Uh, <laughs> like, you definitely have to root for those stories. Like, there, once your team gets knocked out from the World Cup, which, you know, for me was depressingly early, or if you don't have any team to, to root for, you're, you're just rooting for stories. And I don't think there's any more, you know, just incredible story than, than Morocco, this team that no one, you know, gave, gave a damn when the, this tournament started. Everyone thought they were, gonna, they were going out in the group stage. And they suddenly they knock out Spain. You know, that, that game had like so much historical background to it. And, and, you know, you could tell that it meant so much to them. And they just keep progressing and moving forward. And now they're in the semifinals. And, you know, and, and you get Croatia. They got to a final last, last, last World Cup. They're on the verge now. They seem incapable of winning a normal game. Like they always have to make it as dramatic as possible. They knock out tournament favorites in Brazil. Like the stories of both of those teams are so much more interesting to me. Then just France winning again with their, you know, super power team that lost like five dudes to injuries. They, they lost to the Ballon d'Or winner in Karim Benzema. And they're still freaking amazing. Like it's, it's a super team, France and, and Argentina that has Messi and all of that. You know, it's sort of interesting, but I just like the other two teams so much more. Uh, which means we're definitely getting an Argentina-France final. Like, it's definitely happening. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's still, it's, it's fun to root for underdogs. And we have two extremely likable underdogs that I've just enjoyed watching, you know, throughout the, throughout the World Cup so much. I, it's been so, so, so much fun to watch those two teams. Just quick, really quick, one-minute rant at most. Mexico beat that same Croatia team 3-1, completely <laughs> obliterated them in 2014. And we're getting knocked out in the group stage. Sorry, couch. In the group stage, like playing awful football. It's 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 just so sad. So sad to see how this team just seems to be on an elliptical of mediocrity every single time, every four years. And now we don't even get the, the chance of getting knocked out at the round of sixteen, which was our thing. We made that our thing, and now they didn't even could couldn't do that. It was. It was a catastrophe. It was awful. Easily the worst, the worst World Cup for me as a Mexico fan. Everyone should be fired. Uh, <sighs> they won't, but they should. <laughs> and yeah, we beat them 3-1. It was a throttling. That same team. It was, it was like peak Luka Modric. All of those dudes throttled them. And they are now on the verge of back-to-back finals. And we just got knocked out on the group stage. It just, it, it just, it sucked. Other than that, great World Cup. Great World Cup. Go Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> see you later Sergio <laughs> see you guys it's fun as always 
All right, Chucks. Well, we will we will bring you into the World Cup discussion with our lone Twitter question for the week because I don't know the guy who usually asks for Twitter questions forgot to do it until about two minutes before we recorded. Shame. I know. Shame. I, I need to talk with that guy again. He's been slacking the last few weeks. Uh, from from our buddy David Desberg at the R O A C, the Chucks. As someone who has spoken on Louis van Hall in the past and as our resident philosopher and Dutchman, I was curious if you had any words or insights on LVG and what he meant to Dutch football and football as a whole. Now that he looks set to retire after the painful loss, while I'm aware that this is a Juve podcast, we, we beat him in 96. See, it's somewhat Juve related. I'm still curious (laughs) and eager to know the pod sediments on uh, in his, in David's opinion, one of the true champions, innovators, and quote unquote humans of this game. Also, Super Manager LVG, who says no? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great question, and and thank you for the uh, philosopher comp- compliment. Um, yeah, I it's one of the few things I pride myself on is hopefully uh, my mind. So um, thank you. Um, <laughs> Not your facial. But, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Um, yeah, Louis van Gaal, I, I think in just in the Netherlands, he's presented really a hard dilemma just for, yeah, Dutch fans, uh, especially more hardcore and older Dutch fans, because obviously, okay, what is the country known for in a footballing sense? You know, it's the total football, it's the beautiful uh, uh, Johan Cruyff, Neeskens, you know, all those like, those great samba football kind of time, you know, and that's kind of the national identity around the sport. Well, Vajal clearly, uh, you know, he's he's kind of a Mourinho. He's just like, I mean, look, let's just win, man. <laughs> like, let's, uh, you know, build it. I mean, he really is, basically. I mean, obviously, Mourinho, they worked together at Barcelona, I guess it was. And, yeah, I mean, no surprise there of their similarities. You know, build a defense, have just a solid spine of the team, and then, you know, nick a goal here, nick a goal there, and, yeah, keep it as simple as possible. And obviously, this just went against very much went against the ethos of Dutch football. And I don't. Mean, I mean, from the outside looking in, I I don't think the country is still quite accepted that, like, or is okay with it. Like, I don't think uh, maybe to say they don't pride themselves in Van Gaal's style of play. But I think everybody just kind of quietly accepted it and they're like, well, we're winning. So, you know, and obviously up t- until the Argentina heartbreak. But in general, I mean, his his time in charge of the Netherlands, I mean, three times in charge were, I mean, pretty successful. You know, 2014, obviously, uh, that, you know, incredible win against Spain, 5-1, I think it was. And that, you know, that goal by uh, Van Persie. And honestly, this World Cup as well, I mean, quarterfinals, I mean, you're so close, so close to uh, the semifinals. Overall, pretty successful results-wise as well. I mean, they were technically unbeaten the entire tournament. And again, it's like, it's just football that works, but it just goes against, it's just uncomfortable for Dutch people just to, I don't think people, Dutch people like to be proud of Van Gaal's style of play. Because it's just, yeah, it's again, it's just so against what they were used to and so against what they were, yeah, just the, kind of the purest style of play. But, uh, I mean, again, it's like they could just kind of accept it that it was working. 
But even during this World Cup, there were some complaints in Dutch media about just how he was playing. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, we're winning, but uh, you know, it's just kind of grumbling. Ah, you know, uh, we're winning, but hey, come on, look at this. You know, it's like, how are we playing? Um, so yeah, I mean, how did he affect just kind of Dutch football in general? I think obviously it made it more pragmatic, but it also just forced Dutch football fans to say, okay, you know, if this whole beautiful style of play is not working i mean hey at least we kind of know how to get to a plan b right and hey it's we've proven that we're kind of able to do it so it's kind of like a yeah get out we have a get out of jail card now that we know like how how it looks like but then again i mean ronald guman is coming back um under his yeah, he honestly, I think he had a pretty good tenure what, as well. I, I, I thought I thought of you when I saw the Kuman news. What what stint is this? He's been there at least once, right? Yeah, yeah, he was there before, and then he had again. He had a pretty successful spell in charge. Um, it was just Barcelona came knocking, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean Barcelona came Makes knocking. Makes me wonder basically. why they would they would jump at him again, really. But they also the the Dutch also have a a, a habit of recycling guys. You know how many times would how many times was Dick Avocat? Yeah, yeah, the manager. I think he was. He's been manager three times. Gus Hiddink has met was manager yeah. twice. Ah, uh, Gus. Uh, Van Hal was yeah. three times. <laughs> yeah, now Kuman twice. And, Kuman twice. Second time, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's a uh, it's a surprise they haven't like dug deep and and pulled Bert Van Marwijk back. I mean, that's the <laughs> oh, guy that brought oh, yeah. you to the final. Uh, yeah. And the only reason I know that is because I'm looking at it on my screen right now and looked it up. But uh, <laughs> uh, but no, but it is. Don't it reveal is your sources. I uh, know, right? <laughs> but you know, it, it is a. Uh, the Dutch seem to be recycling a lot of these of these guys, and and it's and even you know even deep on before that you know with guys like uh, you know into the nineties and eighties, Renus Michaels was the Dutch manager three times. It just keeps on kind of recycling itself and we we've been and and it, it's an interesting parallel to juventus because we've been talking yeah. about you know all of this recycling and recycling with with something like allegory with something like you know potentially Beppe marotta and also just uh, we we mentioned this last uh, last week i think just the fact that juventus keeps on you, you know in in the sporting in the, in the front office just keeps on churning the next guy up into the next slot and promoting from within or just grab or grabbing somebody from a different sector of exor and never really branching out from that when maybe you need some new some new blood in that you know you look at the the struggles that the netherlands have had you know they 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 missed the last world cup they missed euro 2016 you know that was under you know they missed euro they missed euro 2016 under gus hitting that that was the that qualification cycle was under Gus Hiddink. So it it seems like that is the kind of the kind of thing that that the Dutch would want to recycle. And obviously, you know, you've got guys like you know, you've got guys like Ten Hag who probably doesn't want to leave the club game quite yet. He's the only really kind of new wave Dutch manager that I that I know off the top of my head. And it's very much the same, I think, in Italy when you look at at guys like uh there, there are those guys that that could be the national team manager, but they just don't want to leave the club game, the, the club scene yet. It, it's it's but it's going to be very, very interesting to see how the Dutch come around and also how how Italy comes around from this again 
I mean, obviously, you're going to have a bigger World Cup four years from now. So maybe, you know, a little bit less of a chance of embarrassing themselves. But we said that about the, the Dutch when they when they first expanded the Euros and, and they and they missed it. So who knows? But I just it, it just feel like the, the, the Dutch national team like Juve just seem to be in that cycle of of regurgitating and, and rerunning all of the old stuff and not really bringing in the new yet. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, and to add to that as well, um, Van Gaal, he recently, I think, just the other day, uh, he said in an interview that the one, I guess, complaints he had about just the current Dutch team, although he spoke very, very highly of this, the current group of players, he really, really emphasized that a lot. He said this is one of the best group of players he's had in a long time, and just generally, I mean, he seemed to have a really, really positive bond with them. But he said that the one thing was that um, he just didn't have any wingers, like, any real wingers and, and he didn't have any goal score he didn't have a, a a really cutthroat goal scorer either yeah yeah that too yeah like i mean there's memphis but he's he he's not exactly your traditional you know ruth and i i think the dutch were a very similar the, the dutch were very similar to the germans in that regard where they just and, and the spanish where they don't have that like ruthless number nine guy that will you know you feed him and they will score they don't have like a Vlaovic or a Holland. Or, you know, yeah. to go back into into Dutch history, because we're talking about them, they don't have a Van Nistelrooy, a Van Persie to, you know, score all those goals that you know, and you know they're coming if you get the service right. I think that was yeah. the biggest weakness to me. Yeah, yeah. And I mean... What, until they scored their first goal against Argentina, they hadn't had a shot on target. Am I correct? Yeah, I think I think so. Or maybe one or something. Um yeah, I think that was uh, about right. But yeah, I mean, just on the winger thing, I, I think that also influenced just the style of play. You know, you're talking about just the, the un-Dutch-like style of play um, <laughs> that Pachal had. And yeah, not having any like real, real wingers. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, he just had a lot of pseudo-winger strikers. I mean, Gakpo was kind of a winger, kind of a striker. And Bai's kind of a winger, kind of a striker. Berglein, kind of a winger, kind of a striker. So you just had these kind of like pseudo-players, which is nice for like, fluidity but again going back to the traditional dutch style play it's that 4-3-3 just heavy winger winger base play and yeah if you don't have that you know i mean i don't kind of don't blame him there as well like for having to yeah i just think uh yeah have implemented just a different tactic anyway for for this spell anyway for his previous two ones i mean i I'd have to think a little more about that but and then another thing is really that frankie de jong was really the only like only midfielder he had that was like genuinely comfortable with the ball and like a technical like an actual regista actual passing player so basically all the onus on like creativity in midfield was from him and it's like i mean yeah that's a lot of the burdens put on just one player you know cope miners i mean cope miners the round who else was there um glass and stuff i mean they're all good players but they're not like Verratti, or I'm sorry, De Jong would have killed to have someone like a Verratti next to him. You know, it's someone that could just pass as well as him. So, um, yeah, anyway, you know, just were just some factors, I think, contributing to that. And uh, don't want to turn this into the, the Netherlands uh, podcast. But, um, yeah, great question. Thank you. I just got one more Dutch question for you, Chuck. Can somebody sure, come sure. say Frankie from Barcelona? Oh. <laughs> well, I think it would be a lawyer that would have to help him or save him, really, because, uh, yeah, that looked like a nasty legal uh, ordeal. It's, uh, God, there's got to be some kind of, kind of workplace law that was 
violated there by uh, Barcelona. I mean, yeah, I've never seen a club so so aggressively try to push out a player and uh, not have it happen. It's interesting. I always think of like I always think of cases like this and I try and think, okay, what is the like normal workplace equivalent of that? Like, wow, imagine you're like working somewhere and then you've done nothing wrong and then your boss just wants to like get you out of there. It's like, oh, it's fascinating. I just I just wonder what what would happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely. And I think uh you know at this point we've got what four more World Cup matches. We got the two semifinals, the third yep. place and the 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 championship. Game no one wants game. to play. So <laughs> Yeah, I don't who, mind it. Who knows? Who knows? We could be sitting here. What the uh, the final is is Sunday. a week from now. Sunday, so we're, yeah, we're gonna, we could be sitting here next week recording and talking about world champion Adrian Rabio. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> now that's an ending. He's been really good in this tournament. Yes. <laughs> Let's leave it with that. <laughs> yes. I mean, yes, yeah. And uh, well, <laughs> almost leave it at that because we do have the one other thing. Yes, yes, we do, and we we would be remiss if we. Uh, didn't at least acknowledge the uh, the passing of well-known soccer writer, journalist, investigative reporter, whatever you want to call him, Grant Wall, who, uh, speaking of the Netherlands, uh, apparently had a cardiac event during the, the Netherlands-Argentina game the other day. Uh, from everything that I've seen about Grant, and I, you know, not exactly being a close follower of the men's national team, I wasn't, you know, uh, reading Grant all that often, but... Everything people have said about him, whether his former colleagues at Sports Illustrated or, you know, people he work with now uh, have said nothing but uh, just glowing things about him. He, you know, we were talking before the pod, he, he was, a, I believe, a producer on the, the Amazon Prime documentary about the U.S. men's national team and the Mexican national team that, that you know, the documentary that you can watch, um, you know, he, he did speak about Juventus from time to time. Obviously, that came with the mention of Weston McKinney immediately after it. So, you know, it's not like he was he was spending a whole lot of time talking specifically about Juventus. But um, just from, like I said, from everything I've seen, I've read, I've heard, you know, a fantastic person, a fantastic writer. If you get a chance to read what Grant was doing in Qatar before he passed away uh, regarding the migrant workers and everything, it was just fantastic stuff to read. And, uh, you know, best of of uh, wishes to his wife, Celine, and the rest of his family going forward here, which is obviously a, a, a tough time. So uh, that is it for this week. Thank you all for listening. If you want to send in Twitter questions, whether they are about the Dutch or otherwise, feel free to do so at Juventus Nation on the Twitter machine. Follow us there as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Whether you follow us on apple Podcasts, spotify or google Podcasts. feel free to like and subscribe there if you do listen on apple Podcasts or spotify leave us a nice rating we always appreciate them especially the ones with five stars so for sam for chucks for sergio and producer couch this is danny saying thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to you guys hopefully not talking about court stuff again next week 